So Amy works in the curatorial department at the Bronte Parsonage. And um, yeah, I just wanted to hook up with Amy real quick, see what the Bronte Parsonage is uh, doing for Emily's bicentenary, which is um, very, very exciting. As you know, she's like my favorite Bronte. She is absolutely your favorite and you will not stop. Actually, no, Lauren, I don't know that that's true. Anne, you bang on about Anne. The only thing I, that I know I do is like that Anne. you don't like Charlotte. You do <laughs> like Charlotte. You don't like her as much as Anne and Emily. This is true. This is true. And we both know that secretly your favorite Bronte is Branwell. <laughs> that is. I knew she was going to say it and I'm sitting here just shaking my head. <laughs> Absolutely not true. Emily all the way. I'm obsessed with her. And um, I'm glad that Avi and I were, you know, just able to sort of chat about her, you know, why she's maybe my favorite, why she's also the hardest to get a, you know, get a hold of. Mm-hmm. Um, she just like never returns your texts or phone calls or anything like that. Amy she's or Emily. <laughs> Emily. Emily is not returning them because she is dead. <sighs> Are you she, sure? She can't type. <laughs> Sorry. She's not returning any of these messages on the Ouija board. She, she just won't return my calls. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the only podcast that pits Jane Austen against all three Bronte sisters. I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austen. And uh, we've been talking about this for a long time, and it's finally happening. So we are doing our Emily 200 programming starting right now. <laughs> Thank that you, That was Hannah. like suspense music. I liked it. It was good. It was well-timed. <laughs> So to kick off our special series about Emily during her bicentenary year, we are going to, you know, start off with an interview with Amy Robottom. If you don't know who Amy is, you haven't listened to this show properly. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Or maybe you've been skipping around. But um, I would suggest that you go back into our archives, season one, episode 18, Check out um, our Road Trip to Howarth episode, which is one of my favorite episodes. We have a great interview with Amy in that one. Also, she like rinses me savagely, like right at the start. (laughs) So, I mean, give it a go. If you want to hear me get put down. She does. I did not know. I did not know I was what I was walking into. (laughs) She's great at that. And can I just say, you know, you you also got it in this episode, too. But I cut I cut that. (gasps) what yeah what sorry we had like a two-hour conversation and you know we discussed you during part of it sorry oh i have to know what was (laughs) (laughs) i'll send you the full recording later send me the hannah edit just just the bits that are relevant to me and my interests i will send you the hannah edit Right now, we're going to listen to the Bonnets at Dawn edit. And during that edit, we cover, you know, what's going on at the Parsonage this year um, for Emily's Bicentenary. If you guys are, you know, up in England and you can make it to the Parsonage, they do have Making Thunder Roar, Emily Bronte, the exhibit running from February 1st. It's pretty good. (laughs) Um, It ends on Tuesday, 
the 1st of January, 2019. You could also go up there in, you know, December when we'll be there. So I think yeah. that'd probably be the best time to go, right? I think that sounds like an ideal time to visit personally. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, put that on your to-do list, guys. And, um, yeah, we talk about that and just Emily in general, just sort of, you know, trying to figure Emily out. Hope you guys enjoy. Are you super excited about Emily's bicentenary? Is she, where's she ranked on your favorite Brontes? I'm not going to lie. She's further down the list. <laughs> oh. I know Anne's your number one. Anne's my number one, but actually kind of Mr. Ronta's very high up there. Oh, that's true. That's true. I've got a deep and abiding love for Mr. Bronte. But Emily's so like unknowable and unfathomable mm-hmm. that it's uh, really hard to kind of get a handle on her. So it, it, it's hard to kind of build a relationship with her. If you know That's what I mean. fair. Uh, She's the cool girl to me. Oh, yeah. 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 We get this sense that Charlotte was like, I just want to be her friend all the time. Mm-hmm. Which is a bit sickening. Mm-hmm. But that's... But really, like, Anne was her BFF, right? The twins. The twins, as they were called. The twins. The twins. That's a that's a hard dynamic. Those siblings, man. I know. Hold on, stop. <laughs> So now it's Emily's Bicentenary. Emily, 200. Yep. What do you guys got going on? What are you going to do? Because this is a special one. You know, last year was Branwell. That was meh. Women you, know, you, know, you know how I feel about Branwell. <laughs> we did stuff. No. You guys did great stuff for Branwell's uh, Bicentenary. I love Branwell's room. Yeah, it's good. Well, it's, we've still got that going on. Okay. Okay, good. And I think that'll be on throughout 2018 now. Okay. Okay. Good. So that's, um, I think people really like how immersive that is. Yeah, I, I really did actually as well. I think that's good. It's good use of that space. Yeah. Yeah. So for Emily's year, we've got, um, a co- so we have a contemporary arts program at the Parsonage and we're utilizing that. So we're getting in touch with lots of creatives throughout the year. So, for instance, we've got our creative partner is Lily Cole, which I'm sure everybody's heard about. And we'll have feelings one way or another about that. (laughs) But um, she's a a real intellectual, very clever, very artistic with lots of ideas. So she'll be bringing great things to the Parsonage over the next year. Um, And... We've also got a exhibition in the Benell Room, which is um, a temporary exhibition space that we change every year. So this one, we've got 12 creatives, I think, who have made contributions. I'm just going to check because I should know. Um, but Because she wants to be right, guys. She oh, just I wants to tell you. She wants to be correct. What's the point in having curatorial people that aren't correct? Um, <laughs> Fair enough. 13, sorry, excuse me. Oh my God. So we've got um, a sound installation by Kai Miller, um, who's a poet and he's very much talking about um, like the black experience and Wuthering Heights and um, Heathcliff. But he also talks mm-hmm. about Wide Sagasa Sea, which is interesting. Ooh, that I love. Okay. 
Um, I'm very excited for that. Yeah, he was. He's basically saying that he never felt that Wolverine Heights and Jane Eyre was like for him, but mm-hmm. he came to it through Ice, I guess, let's see. Um, okay. Which obviously gave a voice to Bertha. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the Bronte Society president, Dame Judy Dench, has written. Lots oh, of heard of her. Um. Yeah, so we've got lots of different people from different backgrounds um, and different artistic medias um, getting in touch with us and giving us contributions about different aspects of Emily's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so next month, actually in just a few days, so next Friday, we've got an event at um, Leeds Library in conjunction with Carol Phillips and Sally Wainwright. So that's kind of building on this. So they've both contributed to this exhibition. And um, so they'll be talking about what Emily means to them at Leeds Library, which is a beautiful membership-only library hidden away in the centre of Leeds. Um, We've got a relationship with the Unfanks now, who are, um, I think they're based in Hebden Bridge, so very close to Howarth. And they are a folky... I'm not sure if they're a duo. They are a duo, but also a man involved. Um, but they're two sisters, and uh, Adrian McNally, and they are doing a musical interpretation of Emily. Um, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Will you be able to hear it? Like, will you guys be putting it on your website? Like, can I hear this musical interpretation uh-huh. all the way in Chicago? <laughs> Yeah, you should be able to. We're doing it in the second okay. half of the year. So, okay. So, um, yeah, we've got we've got time to sort that one out. Yeah, <laughs> and we've got um, we've got a writer in residence who is um, Patience Agabi. We've got um, a visual artist, Kate Whiteford, who's going to be working with um, Emily's drawing of her goshawk. So she mm-hmm. had a hawk called. We think either Nero or Hero. Um, okay. And every Bronte person who loves Emily has an opinion on whether it is Nero or Hero. And is that because of like handwriting? They can't like decipher what the name is. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because on the drawing, I think it's Mr. Bronte's handwriting that says what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's quite hard to work out if it is Nero or Hero. Okay. Um. Yeah. But it's a great piece of art, obviously, because mm-hmm. all Emily's art was. So, Yeah, I feel like people don't really realize that she was a great visual artist. Yeah, so one of the things we've got on display in the Bunnell Room this year with a piece by... Oh, no, I can't remember who wrote it. Oh, no, I can. It's a comedian, Josie Long. Um, mm-hmm. She's written a piece... Oh, I love Josie Long. Yeah, yeah. I think I suggested her and people were like, oh, I don't know if I know her, but people do know her. Yeah, they do. Yeah, of course I know Josie Long. Um, so, yeah, the mullioned window is one of, um, if not, I think it is the actual first drawing that we are aware of that Emily created in January 1829. So she would have been 10. And it is a drawing of a mullioned window. So we think um, possibly, for instance, like one at Pondon Hall. Okay. Um, which you should know about, Pondon Hall. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, so we think that it's inspired by that. And we think, it's you know, like everything, it's up for interpretation, but um, it looks as if there is a little fist coming out through the window. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so it is imagined that that is Catherine coming back. Of course. Let me in. Oh, nice. So, well, he All right. shouts for Heathcliff. She doesn't shout for this Lockwood bloke she's never met. But, uh, yeah. Now, um, supporting events. I don't know if you can talk about it. Are you doing something for Emily's birthday this summer? We do. We're just um, in the process of still planning it. Um, mm-hmm. But from what I've heard, it's going to be super exciting. Um, so everybody needs to join the Bronte Society and they will get a uh-huh. feeling about what's going on. But follow our social medias and um, everything will become apparent in the fullness of time. Yes. Excellent. Guys, do it. And then attend and report back to me. Yeah. As I will be stuck at home. It's definitely going to be exciting. And I definitely have heard things on the grapevine. But until everything's properly confirmed and everything goes out, I'm not saying anything. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Now, back in this display, back in this exhibit, like, what is your favorite thing of Emily's that's on display? It's really hard to pick. Um, You can give us multiple if you like. I think for... Something that I really like of hers is the um, it's something that Sally Wainwright chose to write about. So if people don't know Sally Wainwright, she wrote Happy Valley and uh, Last Time in Halifax and the Bronte drama To Walk Invisible. Mm-hmm. And she's a big Bronte fan herself. And she picked the newspaper reviews of Wuthering Heights, which Emily actually cut out of newspapers and kept herself. And it was found in her writing desk, which was given to um, the Bronte Society by Henry Houston Bonnell, or Bonnell, as he's pronounced in America, who was a (laughs) Philadelphian who um, gave us a large quantity of his vast collection of Bronte Mm -hmm. material. And that lovely person. He was such a good man, and I was so fortunate. I met some of his um, descendants, yes, mm-hmm. and um, they were so nice about him um, and said what a lovely man he'd been. And, like, obviously, you know, we think that because he gave us a lot of his stuff, but yeah, <laughs> not that confirmed um, because, yeah, it's a huge deal. It's like the backbone of our collection, and Emily's writing desk is, like, number one in it. So Right. Um, yeah, I I think, too, like, that's interesting that she kept those reviews because I kind of sometimes have this impression of Emily that she was a little bit above it all. Yeah, no. And, like, <laughs> wasn't, like, an artist for, like, doesn't even care, like, what any, like, just puts art out there and doesn't even care what anyone thinks about it. But it's in her desk. Like, the reviews are right there. Yeah. It's like, it's, yeah, it's like bookmarking, like, your book reviews now, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think in part, she she didn't care. You know, like, she wrote that, all of that poetry and gospel, mm-hmm. and she had a huge output, the full extent of which we won't ever know because so much of it has been destroyed, most likely. And she was so private about it. She did it for her own enjoyment and her own intellectual progression and to have a bond with Anne and she wasn't overly bothered what anybody thought of her and yet that she still had this quite kind of I suppose really human um desire to know what people were saying about her work and to keep it is it does give you quite an insight into a character I think yeah it feels it feels like a Charlotte thing 
Oh, yeah. Well, there was that story as well, that when Emily was dying, Charlotte was like, oh, Emily, I found this really horrible review of your book. (laughs) What? Yeah. Yeah. Rude. Well, yeah. (laughs) And Emily was like, apparently she couldn't look at her. Like, (laughs) don't say. (laughs) I would love to spend an hour with Charlotte Bronte. And Emily Bronte in the same room. <laughs> now, uh, what else that is on display um, that you really love? Oh, we've got um, a chemise, which um, Emily, we believe, wore. And a chemise is an item of clothing, like um, a little cotton kind of undershirt, which she would have worn closest to her body underneath her corset. Um, which again is something that you probably you wouldn't think Emily would have worn, but we're pretty certain she did. And it's the thing that you would remove and wash most frequently because it was closest to your body. So it's great that we've got something kind of so intimate. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And she was she was a very thin woman, right? So it kind of tells you like her size. Is this? Yeah. Is this maybe why you think it's Emily versus anyone else's or? Well, she was physically quite robust, I think, for the majority of her life. Um, that she thought nothing of walking 20 miles in a day is quite telling. She was tall. She was physically active in the household as well as walking, uh, which makes her death all the more shocking, how quick it was. And that her coffin measured 17 inches across when she died. Right. is so horrifying. But I think that she would have been quite striking. Mm-hmm. So in, in her prime. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And apparently when she was little, everybody said she was the prettiest one. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The servant said that she was the prettiest. When she went to Cowan Bridge, they said that she was the pet of the school. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's hard. I always like get that confused with Anne too, but it's not. It's Emily. Yeah. You would think now, that she'd come out like um, Amy in Little Women or something with all mm-hmm. the descriptions of her being the little pet, but mm-hmm. quite quite different. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else that you're loving in that uh, in that display? Um. Oh yeah, and the toy lion. Cool. Um, so we've got quite a few toys in the collections that the Brontes would have played with. Mm-hmm. As we know from Branwell's description of the 12 toy soldiers, he says that they were all battered and broken and none survived. Um, but the toy lion is very much like that as well. So all his legs are kind of broken. Um, but he's got this huge mane and a fiery red tongue and um yeah it's proper cool oh that's cute now did you like when you guys were closed down in january right to sort of reset yes is that when you were you touching things were you did you have your gloves on were you moving things carefully yes i was (laughs) (laughs) you know i just like like i just i feel like curatorial life is so glamorous i just want to put on a pair of gloves and move something let me tell you it ain't always glamorous (laughs) Yeah, I feel like um, 
people love hearing about what we do in the close period because we close on so this year we closed on January the 2nd and reopened on February the 1st which meant that we had basically four and a bit weeks which is quite a long close period actually Mm -hmm. um, so first we get everything off display and put it away you know cleaning it as we go kind of thing we take apart the temporary exhibition from the year before so we literally pull that down which is quite nice um, quite satisfying to get some physical action done um, and then yeah it's just cleaning and cleaning and cleaning and cleaning for a, a really long time so we normally you know as everybody does put on a bit of weight after Christmas it's right. a good way of shifting it <laughs> you don't sit down if you're curatorial like you will sit down for like 10 seconds and then somebody will say okay what next and you're like just gave you that task um yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of management as well you know you're constantly um making sure that people have something to do but we check all the furniture to make sure that nothing's eating it um Mm -hmm. we yeah, and then we put out all the other things that are going out next year. Glamorous. It is glamorous. I love it. Normally, at some point in the two days before we open, I'm crying, writing labels like a mad... Oh. <laughs> but this year, I was on top of things. <laughs> <laughs> and there were no tears. It was good. It's a good year. It's a good year. Yeah. No tears. Good. It's a good sign. No, it's good. It's always good to not cry during the closed period. <laughs> it is really intense. And you have to kind of um, map everything around what contractors are doing. Um, okay. Yeah. So obviously, you know, if there's painting going on, you can't have collection items around. But you mm-hmm. also kind of have to be following the painters around saying, don't put that there. Um, right. Yeah. But it's very kind of blitz spirit in a way yeah and it's nice too it must be like a nice like sort of break no and then like (laughs) (laughs) jump back into work i don't know i always like trying something a little different for a bit and then going back to work yeah yeah no it's good and it's really good to get close to the collection again and you realize what it is that you've got and um yeah and also you know every year we get you know new volunteers new members of staff who haven't seen a lot of the things that we take out and clean over course that month and it's it's really nice to see their little faces you know yeah things that where do you guys store stuff i'm not telling you that oh okay because <laughs> you're afraid i'll go break in yeah <laughs> i mean i did plot a heist with hannah for a little book not from your you know collection though oh right yeah <laughs> it was like down in st louis we were gonna go steal it from oh, there yeah. and then give it to us <laughs> and then give it to you guys so really in receipt of stolen <laughs> come on yeah. i'll just mail it to you yeah it's fine. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you are the jewelry expert far, but yeah okay <laughs> I'm the one who said it. You didn't. Okay. Um, but you do have an article in the Bronte Society Gazette right now. Yay! I've had some Yay. really positive feedback. It's been lovely. It's fantastic. You guys, I mean, you should read it. You should join the Bronte Society, and then you should read it. How about that, Team Austin? 
That's yeah, what I'm saying. Throw down the gauntlet because they don't have I any did. collection items. <laughs> <laughs> so now for Emily, because we talked a little bit about her style, because I'm just like, just, you know, does her general attitude of like not bothered sort of carry over to like style as well? Because I, I struggle with her. Yeah. Um, I mean, when she was in Brussels, we know that everybody was saying to her, oh, go and take advantage of all that European fashion that you'll have access to. And she just mm-hmm. was not interested and said that she was as God had made her. And that was right. preferable to her. Um, we know that it was coming to the point when the huge kind of um, shoulder of mutton, is it, that they're called? Sleeves? You know, it was Big old it. sleeves, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, those sleeves were going out of fashion. And everyone was saying, you should kind of get new sleeves. And she just wasn't into it at all. But mm-hmm. I think she knew what she liked. And I think that, you know, that I know that you're interested in the lightning bolt dress. And I think that... I love it. Yeah, it's a great story, a great image of her wearing that. Is She must have picked something to almost be deliberately provocative. Mm-hmm. But also, I was just reading um, Stevie Davis, who's great, this great um, Emily expert, was um, writing about how Emily was there and at quite an impressionable age. She'd have been about five when the Crow Hill bog burst happened. Oh, yeah. It's my, that's my favorite Emily story. Yeah. And that she had absolutely no fear of storms after that. And oh, absolutely exhilarating. And I thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It does make sense. She would have gotten like a lightning bolt tattoo, like had oh, yeah. she lived today. Like that's yeah, her thing. Yeah. So, OK, very. That's very cool. The dress is so cool. Like when I saw it at the Parsonage. Um, so I saw the recreation from uh, the yeah. costume from To Walk Invisible. Yeah. And um. I was like, is this real? Did they take like artistic liberties with this? I like couldn't believe it because I was just like, I feel like, you know, yeah, Emily's not bothered by style, but I like, I love this interpretation so much more that she actually just has her own style and doesn't give a shit about like current trends. I think that's exactly right. I love it. I'm into it. Now, did she wear jewellery? Yeah, so in terms of jewellery, I can't really find any evidence that she did. We've mm-hmm. got some items that are um, Spanish combs, which would have been worn in her hair, so tortoiseshell combs. And mm-hmm. Mary Robinson, who wrote an early biography of Emily, said that she was described as having worn these. Okay. But that would have been quite functional to keep her hair out of her face as she worked. Okay. Um, I've displayed this year with one of the dresses that we believe she wore a really long chain, just a metal link chain. Mm-hmm. And it is really long. And I suspect it was probably a watch chain or maybe like a keychain, something really functional okay. rather than um, beautiful. And I, right. I think she probably would have worn something like that. Okay. It's kind of badass, a chain. Yeah, but the majority of the jewellery that we do have associated with Emily is morning jewellery. Okay. So we've got several examples of her hair having been woven into pieces of jewellery. That 
those Victorians, they love their morning jewelry. I know. <laughs> I know. What is your favorite piece of jewelry? It doesn't have to be Emily. It's just any one piece that you kind of gravitate towards. I can't really pick one because it's a really eclectic range. Mm-hmm. It's really strange. If you pick bits out, you'd be like, how do these link? How do these correlate? Okay. Um, a necklace made out of shells, which is really um, long and gaudy. It doesn't mm-hmm. have any kind of um, catch on it. There's no way of tying it together. So it may have been twisted together. Okay. And we think that that belonged to Anne Bronte, which would make sense because it's made out of seashells and she was obviously very attached to the sea. She may have mm-hmm. bought it at Scarborough. Okay. So that's pretty cool because it's huge and strange and not many examples are out there. Unless- it's definitely something you get when you go on vacation. Like my best friend went to the Bahamas and brought me back a very long shell-like necklace. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. So, okay. Know, unless anybody knows anything about shell jewelry and they're like, you've got it all wrong. <laughs> I'm happy, <laughs> happy to be told otherwise. Um, and then we've got several rings that Charlotte would have worn, mm-hmm. we believe, because we think that she always had this really negative attitude towards her appearance. But one thing that she was very proud of were her hands. Oh. And so by wearing rings, she would have brought attention to these. But then we've also got things like a pair of jet um, bracelet links, which were given to the Bronte Society by the novelist Stella Gibbons. Mm-hmm. And um, she writes this really funny letter that goes along with them about how she found them in a junk shop. On the back of them are scratched E. Bronte and C. Bronte. And she asked the man in the junk shop if he knew anything about this and she couldn't really get an answer out of him and... It's quite amusing, and it's just like, how did we come to have it? But yeah, and they, they're legit. Um, they're real jet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure. Like Stella Gibbons writes in her letters, if he did scratch them on the back in an attempt to kind of make them real, why didn't he ask for more money? It's right, exactly. Yeah, he's just like whatever. <laughs> But it's a great story attached to them. So It is a great story. I feel like enough time has passed that I can tell this story on the podcast, actually. Uh-oh. Um, it's like when I worked at the Art Institute, because I just keep thinking back to this. It just The bracelets also made me think of this. Um, we had, um, I was in museum development, and we had a special book drawer. I'm sure they don't have it any longer. <laughs> I'm sure much more professional people Just work there now. Draw where you put your special books. <laughs> yeah. And it's where we put like all these letters or these people, you know, or photographs who, you know, people who had things that they thought that the museum should acquire. Okay. And Private collections. It's, yeah. And we, you know, you, we would sort them out. People who, you know, were legit people who, you know, um, people had had dealings with before, or curators had relationships with. Um, and then, you know, random people, because we, we actually had someone like send in like pictures of their home that they decorated for Christmas, which I don't know how they felt like we should acquire their Christmas decorations and put that on display at the museum. Oh but, you know, so it was like the other requests. 
that I would like politely turn down. And then also requests from people who were donors. Um, so, you know, we, we had to respond to them because they were donors and we maybe, if they donated a, a certain amount, we'd maybe have to even do like an in-home visit just for, just for show, basically. Hello, thank you for all your stuff. <laughs> thank you, looks lovely. And there was one donor and he was, he was quite a big donor and he was certain that he had the Holy Grail, like... That was, he's like, I have it. I have all this documentation. Um, I really want to, you know, I really want to give it to the museum. As if you had the Holy Grail provenance for matter. (laughs) So you have the Holy Grail. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that kind of puts all our stuff to shame. Yeah, it really does. He had a lot of stipulations too about how it should be displayed as well. And we needed to charge people an extra $5. <laughs> but anyway, I just, I do love like, yeah, these stories and how things sort of like end up like in a museum or, you know, I feel like the story around the Holy Grail, quotation marks, Holy Grail, is so good that it actually maybe should be displayed at the Art Institute. With a label that defines everything that happened there. Yes. And even like the letter trail, because the letters were like amazing, you know, like it was the whole, like all the documentation that he provided was amazing and insane, you know. Well, on the letter from Stella Gibbons in the PS, she says, I did offer this to somebody at the museum and they were interested. So I'm giving it to you because she gave it to Bronte biographer Winifred Geron. Mm-hmm. And we eventually acquired all Joran's Bronte-related materials and notebooks and things. So I'm not sure if it came with those, but anyway, we ended up with it. So it's just funny. <laughs> now that Emily bio by Winifred Joran, like, is that the one that you recommend? Yeah, it is really good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right, guys. So that should be the one that you read this year. Yeah, it's out of print. <laughs> I've okay, I've seen it on Abe Books or ABE yeah. Books. So definitely get it there, guys. If you can get a copy, do. My copy is massively falling apart and was given to me by uh, the principal curator of the museum. It was Aww, her lovely. copy. And I think she saw in me the spark of Bronte desire or something. Um, <laughs> so she... We need more Emily bios, clearly, then. Yeah, when was the last one that there was? Bias. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm- I, so it's so terrible because I feel like uh, you know on this podcast, like well, last year, I feel like was our year of Charlotte. Yeah. And man, I'm like Charlotte Bronte out. <laughs> Easily done. Um, <laughs> there was a book in like the 1940s or 50s that came out, but we've got a copy of in the museum's library, and it's like the life and is it like quick death or something like that yeah it's something like the the short life and happy death or something of emily bronte man i know yeah we need we need a few more maybe i'll write one my problem with emily is that people project onto her Mm, mm -hmm. 
because we don't know. Yeah, so it it can be very like they just. I think people just put onto her what they want to believe about her. Well, I've heard a bunch of strange things, so I'm sure you've heard more. So, like, <laughs> what are some of the strangest like myths or like misconceptions that you've heard about Emily? Um, yeah, that she was a mystic is weird. Yeah. People always want to kind of imbue her with some sort of knowledge. Yeah. There's a theory about her having a lover. Oh, I don't know this one. Yeah, and um, it was put forward by a writer who had misread one of the Gondol poems. And um, in reading it, had figured out a name. And then years later, somebody was like, that's not what it says. <laughs> so <laughs> that was all disproven fairly quickly. Oh, that's um, kind of sad. That's a funny one. Um, the one that she was autistic made for rounds last year or the year before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? I do remember that one. Autistic and anorexic, I've heard as well. Now, the anorexic one, I kind of go with. Okay. Um, of them all, because I think that at that time, anore- maybe not anorexia ex- as a such but disordered eating Mm -hmm. was a way of having agency okay i don't know if i just think this since i read that roxanne gay book but um Mm -hmm. (laughs) i feel like we know that she was really homesick when she went to rowhead and to law hill but obviously when she went to rowhead charlotte was there and could see what was happening and they both had memories of Cowan Bridge when two of their older sisters died. And I think that Emily just thought, if I can get out of here by shutting down, mm-hmm. I'll just do what I need to do. That's a good thought. I like that, actually. Okay. And we do know that when Tabitha Ackroyd fell over and broke her leg and couldn't do her work, that the sisters went on hunger strike until she could remain at the parsonage Mm -hmm. and they could look after her. So that was a method of getting their own way. The hunger strike method is, it's so hard to get my head around, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just a way, yeah, you're right. It's just a way of taking control. Yeah. That's interesting. It is one that I just feel has more credibility than some of us. Have any, like, visitors come in with, like, any weird Emily thoughts? Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hundreds. Um, People are absolutely fascinated by the idea that they absolutely really believe that her and Branwell were really, really close. Really close. I'm like, where have you got this from? Yeah, where are they getting it? I don't get that. Huh, Okay. I mean, I get that they lived in the same house and they were brother and sister. And I think that she didn't want him to drink because she wanted to keep the household together and happy and not lean on their father too much. But Mm -hmm. I don't get this kind of, they had a real bond, (laughs) people believe. That's really strange. Okay. Because if anything, I mean, do you think Charlotte and Branwell really, like, had a bond? Certainly in childhood. 
But when they're right. writing angrier together. Right. And During I, that time. Yeah. And I think that because they were so close when younger, that's what made their eventual break all the worse. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Branwell. I know. I'm glad it's not his year anymore. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm glad it's cool girl Emily. I know. It is um it is nice having a change. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good, right? Yeah. So what are some of like your favorite Emily stories? Oh, it's loads. Cause we've got so many anecdotes. I mean, I say that we don't really know anything about her, but we have got quite a few anecdotes about her where she's very active and strange. Um, yeah. Because there was the station of John Greenwood of Howarth who was obsessed with her, even before she was Alice Bell. He was just like, what's she doing? Where's she going? Because he was writing stuff down, right? Yeah. He was like, he was just essentially like just doing what I used to do with boys when I was like 11. Yeah, exactly. I think he had a bit of a crush on her um, I had a crush on her but later on when all the siblings had died Mr Nichols is like he's a bit of a weirdo about <laughs> oh god yeah so and I always like Mr Nichols so I'll go along with what he said but um <laughs> yeah so there's a story about her breaking up a dog fight oh yes the dog fight story is great yes go ahead and tell it I love this one um that she came across a commotion and all these men were stood around these two dogs, one of which was her dog keeper. And they were all like, what do we do? And she went back into the house and grabbed a handful of pepper as in Solland and um, threw it in the dog's faces and then dragged keeper back into the house. She's like fearless. Yes. And then there's the other dog-related story where she saw a dog out on Church Street and she thought it looked thirsty, so she went out and took it a bowl of water and it bit her and she assumed it would be rabid, so she just went inside and stuck a hot poker into her arm to cauterise it. And then then went about her day, right? Yeah, yeah. and didn't say anything until it festered. Oh, my God. I know. So she was like fearless and hardcore. Okay. Yeah. I like how she's kind of like, uh, like, like the stories about her, like taking Charlotte out into the moors. Cause like Charlotte was afraid of animals. Yes. And afraid of like, and th- those moors too. Like when Hannah and I were out there, I feel like you could just, there's parts where they could just drop off into yeah. nothing. Yeah. And um, sort of like leading Charlotte closer to animals or closer to like drop offs and just like kind of scaring her for fun for her own amusement. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and I have my uh, little William Whitman associated story, of course. Oh, yes. Well, you, you got to fit some William in here. Oh, exactly. Um, where there's a William, there's a hey. Um, <laughs> but when he was kind of, I guess, oh, were they? But he was hanging out with Ellen Nussie a lot. Let's go with that. Mm-hmm. I was going to say courting, but I, I wasn't sure. And uh, Oh. Yeah, but I'm not sure. That's a bit of gossip. Saying. 
I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure. But anyway, he okay. used to take Ellen for walks on the moors. And um, Emily was like, hmm, no. So she'd go off with them. And it earned her the nickname for Major. <laughs> and Charlotte, I'm sure it's Charlotte Oran, writes to Ellen Nussie saying, oh, the Major sends her regards. <laughs> I enjoy this nickname. This is perfect. Yeah. And there's that other letter that she sent to Ellen Nussie when Charlotte was staying with her. And Emily's like, if you want to keep her longer, you can have her. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what was... Emily's relationship with Ellen, because I feel like Anne and Ellen were cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think Ellen was kind of like the fourth sister. Mm-hmm. I don't okay. think it's too much to say that. I think they were all very comfortable in her presence. Mm-hmm. And Ellen said that if you ever got a smile from Emily, then you were kind of richly rewarded because she was so quiet. But one of her smiles was to be cherished and we are back so yeah that wasn't too savage right hannah i mean hannah edit (laughs) i don't know yeah you haven't heard that one yet um (laughs) if we ever got like a patreon that's that's where we'd put the hannah yeah that's the sort of content you could expect (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) savage put downs of how little i know about the brontes (laughs) (laughs) So now um, we have more Emily programming coming up for you guys this year. We have lots of different um, authors coming up and um, we wanted to do a read along, but we thought a Wuthering Heights read along might be a little too intense, especially since we have so many other read alongs happening this year. We just couldn't really get it in the schedule. But we have an alternative. Exactly. We have an easy alternative as well. So I'm really excited about this. Um, So what we'd like you guys to do is go out and purchase or download or just look for on the internet some of Emily's poetry. You borrow it from the library. You can. You can do that. I, you know, was a librarian and I like always forget to mention (laughs) the libraries. I'm the worst. (laughs) But yeah, we'd like you to get a hold of some of Emily's poetry. And we'd like you to read it and tweet at us and or Instagram at us or Facebook at us. Or email us. Or email us, you know, however. We'd like you to like let us know what your favorite lines are or your favorite, you know, verses. Just throw them at us. And keep throwing them until September the 15th. And then after that, we never want to hear anything about Emily Bronte (laughs) ever again. Done. Kaput. So after September 15th, what we're going to do is we're going to team up with um, the Sisters Room blog. Now, you guys will remember them from episode 21. That's Celine and Serena, who run a fabulous Bronte-inspired blog. We love those guys. Those guys are the best. And what we're going to do is sort of collect all these lines and create an episode that's sort of like a montage of like Emily's best lines. That makes any sense? Yeah, an audio collage. Yes, I think it'll be nice. And for this, um, we would like a variety of different voices. So it would be great if, in addition to sending your lines via Twitter, the gram, Facebook, whatever, you could send us an audio memo. That 
would be amazing. Just record it on your phone, send it to bonnets at dawn at gmail, and we will pop that into the episode. And I promise I will use the best take. So no worries there. You're not Hannah. What? What does that even mean? (laughs) Every take is a good take. You're just worried that people aren't ready for my my sense of humor. It's true. (laughs) Also, I swear too much. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to discuss what you're reading, talk about your favorite lines, maybe compare what editions you're reading, talk about poetry, maybe it's your first time reading Emily's poetry, we will have loads of discussion in the Facebook group. Rita Maria Martinez, uh, who we've said before, she will be our resident poetry expert and she'll be on hand in the Facebook group to answer questions and to keep that discussion going, which is really exciting because Lauren and I know nothing about poetry. It is true. It is absolutely true. You can find the Facebook group, believe it or not, on Facebook by searching Bonnets at Dawn. There's a little question. Are you Team Austin? Are you Team Bronte? Are you neither? Just let us know. Just stick a... And if you don't think you're either of them, just say, I don't agree with this question. It just helps us know that you're not a robot. And we'll yeah, add you exactly. to a list. If you don't answer, I put you in a database. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I track you within the group. That doesn't happen. If you want to interact with us <laughs> without being tracked and monitored like a lab rat, then you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Bonnets at Dawn. You can email us. I say us. You can email Lauren, bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. She has a lovely email signature. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Usually I say the Facebook one, but I already said it. It's true. Now you're just stuck. You're like, I what do I do? It, Lauren. What How do, do I, I do? get out of this? How do I, how do I leave? I guess I could just, just say goodbye.